This is the theme song at the start of the show. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Gonna watch a movie, got a thousand more to go. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Watching everything on Disney seeming like a chore. And since I started singing, they already added more. So stop wasting time on the theme song. Just tell us the name of the show. It's called the Podcast War Tennis Shoes. What a terrible name for the show. It's worse than the theme song. Hello and welcome to the Podcast War Tennis Shoes, the podcast where we watch and rank all 1,819 movies on Disney+. Plus. My name is Sean and I am here with my two co-hosts, Rob and Bob. And Rob, how are you doing this week, man? I'm doing pretty good. I'm sorry I'm rocking up late to the recording here, so it's past your bedtime already, Sean. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Listener, if you're wondering why this episode is late... It's my fault. It's because Robbie showed up 10 minutes late to the recording. And that's why this episode is going out three months from now. That's my (laughs) excuse. It's all Rob's fault. It's really funny. I think chronologically, this one actually probably is coming out three months from now. (laughs) No, it's not. It's coming out soon. It's coming out in two weeks. I'm doing good, Sean, to answer your question. Yeah, what you been up to this week? Well, it is a Monday. As you know, we record on Monday. So this week, I haven't been up to much. (laughs) Well, what were you up to last week then? What were you up to since the last time we recorded? I... Mr. Technicality. Mr. Pushing your glasses up the bridge of your nose and correcting me. Uh, Well, actually... It's been, uh, I've been on the road for my job. I've been traveling around the province for a bit. Seeing everything that that wide wonder of Saskatchewan has to offer. Yeah. From Battleford to North Battleford. Yes, the Battlefords. (laughs) Everything in Saskatchewan. Everything in between Battleford and North Battleford. A river. We do have those. (laughs) Well, fine. I'm moving on from you. That well has gone dry. (laughs) Bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I got scared. I thought I didn't realize our last week we were at 800, uh, 1,800 and was it 16? So that's only three films that have been added, isn't it? Three films since last week. Uh, they are a film called Patsy and Loretta. I think it's about Patsy Klein and Loretta Lynn. Oh shit. I'm down to watch that. I fucking love Loretta Lynn. I love Loretta Lynn. She was fucking rad. All right. Well, tune in next week, listener, to <laughs> Patsy and Loretta only on the podcast War Tennis Shoes. It's your pick, Bobby, so maybe that's what it's going to (laughs) be. We'll see. Well, actually, don't make your pick yet. You haven't heard the other two. Number two, a documentary called Escaping the Nixium Cult. Ooh, that sounds fun. No. Wait, but it's not the HBO Nixium Cult movie that everyone really likes. No, it's apparently a Disney Plus Nixium. Ho-ho, look at him go. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Into the cult they go. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh. Number three, a film called Very <laughs> Valentine. Bobby was just sitting there thinking of something to say. He's like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not responding to that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I can joke about the Nexium cult. That's just fucked up. <laughs> it's super fucked up. Why am I doing that? I don't know. It's very late on a Monday. <laughs> this is right. what happens when we record after 8.30 my time. I, the jokes get a little... A little dark. Okay. Well, um, those are the, yeah, those are the movies, Bob. What have you been up to this week? Wonderful world of being an actor, getting ready to work on some stuff I can't talk about because that's the nature of the business. Um, stuff I can talk about, uh, getting ready to maybe record with my band sometime in the next couple of months. Really excited for that. Nice. All right. Well, you have been busy. All right. Well, let's, let's get going. I have to sleep and, and you have Sean, actual you art to create. I'm okay. I'm all right. Yeah. 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 I'm all right. Haven't really watched any movies recently. 
Oh, the new uh, seasons 14 and 15 of Always Sunny in Philadelphia went on Disney Plus. So I was just crushing through those. Oh, nice. That was a lot of fun. Uh, you know what I've been watching on Disney Plus? Not for this podcast for some reason. Uh, remember how I said uh, I, I watched Percy Jackson a while ago? <laughs> I watched Percy Jackson too. You watched all of them? I watched both Percy Jacksons. <laughs> There's two Percy Jackson movies? Yes. What? Yep. What? Isn't there a series coming out? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the first one's Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. What's the second one? Uh, the first one's directed by Chris Columbus. The second one is, it's called Percy Jackson's Sea of Monsters. <laughs> and he goes to, uh, he goes to the Bermuda Triangle. Like, is it possessive? Is it like Percy Jackson's Sea of Monsters? Because it sounds like a National Geographic series. Like Percy Jackson got his own Disney Plus show where he's like, I'm going to take you through the Sea of Monsters. Uh, no, I think it's End the Sea of Monsters. I think it's a Harry Potter ripoff, obviously. I like the second one better. That's well, because Chris Columbus didn't make it. Ooh, take that, Chris Columbus. Where are the monsters? They're behind the lens. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. You got him. Chris Columbus deserves every single barb we have to throw at him, what with all that genocide. It's the same Chris Columbus, right? I'm not yep, getting him confused, one. right? Okay. <laughs> no. My brain can only handle one person named Chris Columbus. I get them confused. Hey, and I'm doing okay. Well, what, what what else we got going on on this show? We talk about how we are. We talk about uh, genocide of Chris Columbus. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we talk about things that don't make it into the episode sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but not that one. That one's going in. We also talk about the question, did anyone write a review this week? Let's take a look. Let's take a peek. Did anybody write a review this week? Rob? 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 Yes, hello. Did anyone write a review this week? So, no one wrote a review this week. However, our buddy from Australia, uh, he he specifically went out this morning to me at like 6 a.m. Australia, uh, our time. Uh, he got, he said he never mentioned these. So it's a Spotify five stars. He rated us on Spotify five stars. Ooh, nice. So I think we've got a bunch of five star reviews on Spotify, uh, but you can't actually like write a review. Or can you do that now? On the Spotify, you can review individual episodes now, can't you? You can write, so Spotify, thank you for bringing this up, Rob. Yeah. Thank you, because I would have forgotten, because I'm a really bad host who, who just kind of wings it all the time. You're a great host. On Spotify, there is now listener interaction. You can actually interact with us. We're real people, listener. And if you poke us, we will poke back. And if you cut <laughs> us, we will go, ouch. And if you give us a five-star review, we will say thank you. But what you can also do is in this interaction page, when you click on the episode, there is now a question that's something along the lines of, should we ever let Rob pick another movie? No, 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 no. that's not... Sean? And then there's there's, there's a yes and, and no option. So, listener, if you go in and select yes or no, you can hold power over whether Rob ever picks another movie. And there's also a little spot where you can write something. And if you want that to be a review about how much you love the show and how much you don't want Rob to ever pick another movie, feel free to no, write that in there. How much you want Rob to be in charge of all of the movie choices going we forward. We want you to have the power in this show, listener. Uh, so yeah, thank you, Rob, for reminding me that people can go on Spotify yeah. and just cycle you out. <laughs> I want to pick movies again. I promise they won't be terrible. It's just going to be Percy Jackson, Sea of Monsters. It's not going to be Percy Jackson. Hey, look at all these monsters in the sea. I'm Percy Jackson. Take a look at all these monsters. I was watching all those terrible films, not for this podcast, because I'm not making you guys. Only so you can fucking watch them again when you inevitably pick them. <laughs> Ha ha ha!
<laughs> no, I'm not going to. Rob, we'll talk about this later. We'll talk about your punishment later. But um, just to finish this train of thought, though. So our friend in Australia, thank you, Australian friend, gave us five stars on Spotify. Did this Australian friend write something to you? Uh, he just said, you guys never mention these. You guys are just ignoring actual reviews. It's all a scam. And I was like, well, I told you to write a review. You just gave us five stars, which is great. Thank you so much. Well, but- you heard it here first, listener. Quote, it's all a scam. End quote. Five stars. <laughs> the podcast wore tennis ah, I love shoes. it. Perfect. Moving on to our episode today. Because we banned Rob, it is not a Rob pick. But you know what? It is also not a Bob pick. And it's not a Sean pick. What does that mean? What is left? Well, listener, it is a listener request. You can't see it, but I'm doing Kermit arms. I'm so excited. That is exciting. (laughs) I can't see it either because I actually opened something up on my screen. So nobody's looking at you doing the Kermit arms. You're doing them all by yourself. Nobody's watching, but I can imagine it and it's funny. So we just had a listener request last week. We did High School Musical. I don't think that we uh, gave enough moment of pause there when you said last week was High School Musical. I think we need to address that it came out. Good job, buddy. I know it's been your white whale. Thank you very much. Ah, it came out. But this episode, if you're open for as many songs, you're not going to get them. You're going to get one, though, because I'm going to reuse that listener request song. And it goes right here. Gonna watch a movie that a wise is so suggest. It's time to celebrate. We gotta listen to request. Anyway, that was awesome. Wasn't that awesome, listener? All right. So this listener request comes from Andrew in Ottawa. And Andrew says the following. I just finished your episode about the million dollar duck. Thank you, Andrew. At least somebody did. And wanted to write in to say great work. On the background research, I was expecting to hear you joke about a bad movie, so getting to learn something about monetary policy and animal rights on movie sets was surprising and awesome. (laughs) The show is great and deserves more listeners. I also wanted to suggest a movie for a future episode, Muppet Treasure Island. I know you've done Muppets already, but this is one of my family's favorite movies. I've probably seen it 30 to 40 times. It's got all of the typical Muppet shenanigans with Tim Curry as Long John Silver. It is the perfect film to show before a midnight screening of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Keep up the good work and have an awesome weekend. And that email was titled, Come for the Disney Movies, Stay for the Monetary Policy Talk, (laughs) which is an email after my own heart. I have to confess. I think this is your favorite listener, Sean. Oh, yeah. Andrew in Ottawa is my favorite fan. So take that, our friend in Australia. Uh, He's not a fan. He's a friend. He's still my second favorite. <laughs> oh, okay, he yeah. has to write something. He can't just text Rob, look at my Spotify stars. Yeah. Text something, friend in Australia. Come on, Andrew could do it. Why can't you? Okay, so Muppet Treasure Island. This came out in 1996. It was their follow-up to Muppet Christmas Carol, which we talked about and which Rob and I love and Bob hated. Let's see if we can get the same kind of dichotomy going on this movie. We'll see. I I honestly have no idea. I don't know how anyone else thinks about this movie. This was, again, just like Muppet Christmas Carol, directed by Brian Henson. It was written by Jerry Jewell, 
who was the lead writer of the Muppet television series and was one of, if not the sole writer of all of the Muppet movies leading up through the 80s into the 90s. There were, however, two other writers on this film. First was James Hart, who is also credited as the writer on Bram Stoker's Dracula and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Wow. Okay. I don't know why he's on this film, but okay. (laughs) That's hit a couple different genres there, I guess. As well as Kirk Thatcher. Kirk Thatcher started as a puppeteer and production designer on Return of the Jedi. He worked with Industrial Light and Magic. He became an associate producer on Star Trek IV, where he was immortalized as a performer playing Punk on the Bus. What? He then reprised his role of Punk on the Bus in the films Spider-Man Homecoming and the television series Star Trek Picard Season two. What? What are you saying what about? Sorry, I'm, I'm getting confused. This guy was, he, he played punk on the bus in Star Trek. For The Voyage Home, the film okay, where gotcha. they travel back to the 1980s yeah, yeah, yeah. to rescue Sorry. whales. Yep. It is Saves the Whales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Save the Whales. Kirk and Spock are on a bus. Yep. There's a punk on the bus with loud music and a mohawk. Yeah. That's Kirk Thatcher. And then you said he was in uh, a Marvel film? He reprised the role as punk on the bus in Spider-Man Homecoming, where he plays punk on the bus. Supposed to be the same character. Oh, that's awesome. And then he reprised the role again in Picard season two, where they travel back in time and they meet the same character again on a bus, I believe. I don't know. I didn't didn't watch Picard. That's amazing. Anyway, Kirk Thatcher then became involved with the Jim Henson Company and went on to direct a whole bunch of... Of Muppet films, the made-for-TV bad ones. Mm. No offense to Kirk Thatcher, but he directed Muppet Christmas, comma, Letters to Santa. I've seen that. Muppet Wizard of Oz. Haven't. And most recently, A Muppet Haunted Mansion, the Disney Plus exclusive. I tried. I've seen at least two of those, and they're bad. So, yeah. Yeah, just, just, just stick to punk on a bus. Stay on the bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, when I said that I've seen two of those, or uh, Letters to Santa and the uh, Haunted Mansion, I saw about 10 minutes and then turned them off legitimately. We'll always have punk on a bus, though. I should ask beforehand, um, before we get into the actual nitty-gritty of the film, have any of you seen Muppet Treasure Island before? I hadn't seen it. This is a first watch for me. Good to know. Okay, well, I will say that I have seen it, and in fact, when I was a kid, I had the clamshell, so I oh, wow. pl- I must have seen it three or four times. But unlike Muppet Christmas Carol, I have not seen this since I was 10 years old, probably. I watched it a bunch of times as a kid soon after it came out and then kind of forgot about it. So this this was a refresher for me. I had not seen it in many, many years. For sure. How about yourself, Bob? I saw this in theaters once for sure. And I'm pretty sure I saw it at Rainbow Cinemas. For those who don't remember and never saw it, or perhaps are American viewers, Rainbow Cinemas was a second-run theater that was like $2 for a movie. So I, after its main run, I saw it at a much smaller, shittier screen. You say our American listeners wouldn't know Rainbow Theaters. I'm pretty sure most people don't know <laughs> Rainbow Theaters, Bob. Like, that's a very local reference. It's not only in Saskatoon, but it's not exactly Canada-wide. Like, that is a small change. Although, however, Andrew, or listener, perhaps you can back me up. I definitely saw Grindhouse at the Rainbow Cinema and I believe San Laurent Shopping Mall in Ottawa. So perhaps he's familiar. Oh, wow. It, it okay. Yeah, it, I get it, but some people might know what I'm it's talking about. It's a minor Canadian franchise. Yeah, we're not talking about Cineplex here. People in Saskatoon, you may remember them from every parade where they were the truck that was two front ends welded together. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
I remember them as the place that I went to get my one-sheet movie posters every year yeah. when they would auction them off for a buck. Also, the spot of the first date I ever went on with my then-girlfriend, now-wife of 20 and a half years. Oh, oh well. hey, that's romantic. Was it to Muppet Treasure Island? <laughs> yeah, in 96. No, the story is much cuter than that. Her and I went and saw Christopher Nolan's Insomnia, and she fell asleep on me in the theater. Aww. That's so funny. I fell asleep when I saw Christopher Nolan's Insomnia in the theater. Yeah. Not on me, though. I'm pretty sure it's intentional. I'm pretty sure he's a magician yes. who created a film that actually puts people to sleep. Insomnia, you're just like, I, I can't keep my eyes open for another second. I need to go to bed this instant. I don't know how anybody stays awake yeah. watching that movie. It's magic. It's it's like some sort of ASMR cinematic experience. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Yeah, when, at the end, spoiler alert for insomnia, but when like, when Al Pacino's like dying, he goes, I just want to go to sleep. But I was like, I feel you, buddy. Well, spoiler alert, I've never seen the end. I keep falling asleep, so. <laughs> uh, Rainbow Cinema is also the home of what I believe was the second date with my now wife, where somebody, possibly you, Rob, had tickets for eight people to go and see Triple X, and because I brought her along, she was the ninth. And she was the only what? person that had to pay. Oh, I'm sorry. You had eight tickets to Triple X? They were $2, Sean. They were $2. <laughs> I had a 20 on me, apparently, and I wanted four bucks for popcorn because I'm an asshole. And for some reason, she's still with me. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll get you a toonie. I apologize. I owe you two bucks. <laughs> She's a keeper. She'll stay with you through that. Yeah. Uh, that's when you knew it was forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the second date when you went on triple X and she didn't leave you immediately. <laughs> the fact that you got a third date, you were like, someday I'm going to marry this woman. All right. Let me talk about the cast of this movie. Yeah. Dave Goals plays Gonzo the Great and Bunsen Honeydew. Steve Whitmire plays Kermit and Rizzo. Kermit is playing Captain Smollett. So we have Steve Whitmire performing Kermit playing Captain Smollett, the captain of the Española from Treasure Island. Frank Oz appears performing the voice of Miss Piggy, who is portraying Benjamina Gunn, Fozzie, who is, who is portraying Squire Trelawney, and Sam Eagle, who is portraying Sam Arrow. Now, I say the voice because Frank Oz was not on set because he was shooting Bowfinger while they were shooting Muppet Treasure Island. Oh, wow. And actually, all of Frank Oz's characters were performed by Kevin Clash. Oh, really? I saw Kevin Clash's name in the credits. I, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah he's the not parrot parrot yes kevin clash does the voice of a few other characters himself bad polly being the most dominant the the largest character that he performs we gotta talk about him later kevin clash i hope it's not about the thing no no bad polly oh bad polly yeah we gotta talk about bad yeah. polly <laughs> not about the thing we can talk about bad polly i don't want to talk about kevin clash no we will not be talking about the thing but he also performed and did the voices of all of Frank Oz's characters, and then Frank Oz redubbed them in post after the film was essentially made. Yeah. One of the last times Frank Oz did that, I think Frank Oz also did the voice for Muppets from Space, but then he was like, fuck this, I don't want to do any of this anymore. And he's just not involved in the Muppets at all. Makes sense. <laughs> uh, the other names, so Jerry Nelson appears as Statler and various pirates, and the other one is John Henson, Brian Henson's brother, another one of Jim Henson's sons, performed Sweetums. Oh, the the big guy? The big guy. Uh, yeah. Richard Hunt had previously performed Sweetums, but Richard Hunt died in 1992. Mm. Probably one of the reasons that Sweetums doesn't appear in Muppet Christmas Carol. But John Hansen had trained with Richard Hunt to perform the character, and he was a puppeteer himself. So he performed Sweetums in this movie and then moving cool. forward. All right. few other things. Movie starts. 
And before we get into the usual question of how does this movie start, I'm going to answer it myself. Sean, how does this movie start? <laughs> this movie starts with some fucking bad-ass Hans Zimmer score. Fuck Mr. Yes. Pirates of the Caribbean himself. Fucking Hans Zimmer. And it fucking is dope. All Holy right? Shit. He lays down that track blows the doors off right off the bat and you're like this is gonna be good and you have the miniatures of treasure island as the camera zooms through just like the opening of muppet christmas carol looks fucking beautiful music's great you're like how can we lose and then the hans zimmer music stops <laughs> and then the barry man Cynthia vile music starts because barry man and his wife cynthia vile did the songs for this movie which are not as good as Hans Zimmer's score. Just to talk about Barry Mann and Cynthia Vile for a second. Barry Mann, not Barry Manilow, but Barry Mann himself has a fucking huge career. Looking into it, I just learned a lot of this stuff. Uh, him and his wife wrote You've Lost That Loving Feeling, along with Phil Spector, which was one of the oh, most oh, successful wow. singles of all time. Barry Mann is a co-writer on the song Somewhere Out There from An American Tale. Wow. Two other things. One, he wrote the music for Once Upon a Time in New York City from Disney's Oliver and Company, which had lyrics by Howard Ashman. Uh, okay. Which is the whole reason why Howard Ashman and Alan Menken came over to Disney to start doing the Disney musicals. Howard Ashman got brought in to write lyrics for Barry Mann's song. They needed a lyricist. Someone had seen Little Shop of Horrors, and they were like, those were some pretty good lyrics. Let's get Howard Ashman in here. And so he wrote those lyrics, and then he was like, I got this other guy I work with. He would be really good for this Little Mermaid movie that you're working on. That's nuts. So Barry Mann was the guy that Howard Ashman didn't want to work with. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe they got along great. I'm just assuming. Uh, Oliver and Company, that's also Billy Joel, right? Billy Joel performs the Why Should I Worry song, and he plays the character of the Artful Dodger. The Once Upon a Time in New York City is the intro song that's actually sung by Huey Lewis. Um, not the news, just Huey Lewis? It's not Huey. It's Huey Lewis and Barry and <laughs> Howard Ashman. Not as good. <laughs> they didn't hit it nearly as big as the news did. <laughs> yeah, that that trio. <laughs> they only had the one song. One more credit for Barry Mann, and this is the craziest. He had a hit himself because he wrote and performed the song Who Put the Bomp in the Bomp a Bomp a Bomp from the 60s. Oh my God. Wow. Jiminy Christmas. He did a lot of great stuff. None of them are in this movie. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Bobby, let's get to it because you did not like the songs in a Muppet Christmas Carol. And I think Sean and I might be on the same page where we thought personally the songs were a bit better in a Muppet Christmas Carol than in this one. What did you think of the songs in this film? Not the score, because I think we could agree the pirate score is rad as fuck, yeah. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially seeing as how, uh, as I mentioned in, the, uh, in a more recent episode that I've just recently did a spot on another pod reviewing Pirates of the Caribbean. It was kind of funny watching this film and be like, yeah. oh, the Muppets already did this. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like there were so many callbacks, eh? Like you could, you could hear yeah. the influence of this movie yeah. in the pirate score. Okay, Rob, to answer your question, I will skip ahead to read one of my notes that I had timed it and by eight minutes there was already two songs I paused it to see how long it had taken and then my note after that is and boy does this second song suck <laughs> you know what I, I agree with you in this one I could take or leave any of the songs there's at least one that I kind of like but it's later I mean the first one I actually liked I don't like the first one I don't like the first two they both are yeah. terrible to me I hate this first song yeah yeah this shiver me timbers thing oh god 
I love the work of Paul Williams in Muppet Christmas Carol. I think his songs are amazing. Bobby disagrees. Because they're all about not doing heroin, right? All of the songs needed to be secretly about not doing heroin. That's what they were missing. It'd be fitting about, you know, <laughs> being a pirate. You know, not doing heroin. Well, it would be opium. Isn't it great to not do opium anymore? Yeah. Arr. <laughs> 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 That's the song. <laughs> Isn't it great to not do opium anymore? Comma R by Barry Mann and Cynthia Vale. Nice <laughs> opportunity. What can I say? I don't know. I kind of just tuned out the songs, honestly. We didn't talk about the human cast of this movie, or did you want to introduce them as they come in? No, we can talk about the human cast. Billy Conley is, like, cranked up to 15 in this movie, and I kind of love every second he's on screen. He's so good. No, he crushes it. I fucking loved it. He was too short in this film. Like, he needed to be in this film more. And of course, like, actually top build above all of the Muppets is none other than Tim Curry himself. He is top build in the film. Well deserved. Tim Curry is fucking amazing in this. I think both Billy Connolly and Tim Curry fucking crush it. Tim Curry is prominently throughout the film. And we talked about Tim Curry in The Three Musketeers episode where we talked about how he's great and i think you guys mentioned how oh he like elevates the movie he wasn't in enough of the movie for me to feel like he could actually drag it out of the depths that that movie sank to oh no he's in enough of this movie that i feel like he does kind of (laughs) elevate it because he's amazing in this film we'll get to some of the other notes but like this film really highlights that there was absolutely nothing this man could not do five stars See, that's how easy it is, Australian (laughs) friend. You can even just say, he's great, five stars. Going back to Billy Connolly, he was in and out so quick that I don't know if his performance would have gotten grading had he been in it longer. It might have just been like the perfect amount where he like exited and left us wanting more. Because I was like, where's Billy Connolly? Please don't be dead, Billy Bones. Billy Bones, you're the best. That would be quite the departure from the book. (laughs) He's like, actually, I'm okay. I'm going to join you on this adventure. I was surprised to see Jennifer Saunders in the film as well. I I was like, Jennifer Saunders is in this film? Okay. Mm -hmm. She's in it for like five minutes. That's um, absolutely fabulous. Absolutely fabulous, yeah. She's married to Adrian Edmondson as well. Who's that? Like, he was in the English TV show. He was a comic partner of Rick Mail. They were in the show The Young Ones. They're also in the show Bottom. You might know <laughs> Adrian Edmondson as the Imperial Guard who answers Poe Dameron's call in uh, The Last Jedi. Okay, that's awesome that you know that. That's amazing, Bobby. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of The Young Ones and Bottom. I, 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 I guess I have to say that show with a stupid accent every time. I, I'm a fan of yeah, his work in the 80s. It's very funny. I loved him as Vivian in The Young Ones. And, and she, she's also in The Young Ones as well. So, listener, if you're wondering about my level of culture, Bobby starts talking about British television and my face just goes, Moo? And then he has to go, here's how I can relate it to Star Wars. And I go, ah! <laughs> That's why we're such good friends. Because he understands me. He understands my blah face. You had texted me earlier that you weren't particularly fond of this film. So I kind of went in with that expectation. And I'm not going to lie. Like, the first shot of this film, I was like, what is Sean talking about? Because this is amazing. I am 100% in. And... I think I stayed that way more than what seems like you two. Maybe that happens to everybody because I watched this uh, with my girlfriend and we turned it on and the movie starts with that big Hans Zimmer score and the big sweeping miniature shot. And literally my girlfriend went, awesome. Yeah. (laughs) And then in my opinion, it drops off a cliff as soon as that song starts because I do not like this song. And I do not like a bunch of things about it. The first thing is I don't like how as soon as they switch into actually the song component, the musical component, the actors moving through this stuff, when they get out of the miniatures, suddenly it's like, oh my God, they have the Mexico filter on there. Everything's orange. Yeah. And then not only are they singing the stupid song, they're dragging it 
it's a song about the pirates and the treasure and how everything's so awful. And then they're dragging the treasure through this island. And then all of the animals start singing. And you're like, these are all like the background Muppet characters. Yes. Like none of these are good puppets because these are the puppets that are supposed to stay in the background. But they were like, <laughs> well, we can't have any of the good puppets here because the good puppets aren't supposed to be on this island. What do we got? Oh, we got this. We got this crocodile that was in the, the back of the frame once. It's like, oh, yeah, let's put yeah, him in yeah, front. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's terrible. I was like, is that crocodile made of felt? Like, is that just a soaking <laughs> well, wet made of right felt. now? They I all know. made a felt I, know. I understand what the Muppets are. I don't know. They went digging through the back of the warehouse for this scene, is all I'm saying. Yeah. Then as the song goes on, they animate and they anthropomorphize these native totems that are on the island. And two things. So first of all, as will be revealed later, once the plot actually gets to the island, the natives of this island are all pig. They're pigs. Yeah. So the totems have pig faces. Which makes sense. But I feel like all of the anthropological research that went into this movie was Polynesian. Yes. Doesn't this seem Seems like like a Pacific island and not a Caribbean island? I bet you Brian Hansen just went Hawaii one time and was like, yeah, it's all water. It's all the same. Yeah. It (laughs) kind of felt like they were like, this is Hawaii, right? That's where the Caribbean is, right? Sorry, did you get into this too with this film too? This is actually a Disney production as well, isn't it? This isn't just a Jim Henson Studios. They made Muppet Christmas Carol together. And the reason why they were working together was there had been some discussions at the time to Disney for Disney to buy the Jim Henson company to buy the Muppets. And so there was this working relationship. Muppet Christmas Carol was a moderate success, had a budget of 12 million, made 27 million, got moderately good reviews. And they said, let's do that again. Because then there's a bit of a gap before they get purchased, isn't there? Yeah. After this, they went and partnered with Sony and they made some made for TV features with NBC and they made Muppets from Space, which was distributed by Sony. NBC. Where was I? What were we talking about? Oh, I was talking about the Polynesian thing. Anyway, I don't understand. It seems very Polynesian to me. But the second issue is that as it's Polynesian, then these totems start singing uh, hula waka, hula waka, something not right. Many wicked things gonna happen tonight. Don't make those the lyrics. No. Don't they also do a uh, uh, hooked on a feeling? Well, the hula waka is hooked on a feeling. That's what it like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the yeah, hula waka, right. they sing it like Uga Chaka from Blue Suede's Hooked on a Feeling. Yeah. It's just different nonsense syllables that they're putting in the mouths of Caribbean native deities. I'm going to get into this as we go through this movie, but a lot of this movie reminded me of the Muppet television series, which I guess can be taken as a compliment because I love The Muppet Show. But The Muppet Show really feels like it is people on a low budget, desperate to get something out for Friday because they have a deadline and they're just making it up as they go along. And so they're just throwing shit at the wall. And that's the intention of The Muppet Show. It's that's the feeling. And that's why it works because that actually is what was going on with the show. Like they were, they had no budget. They were filming it in London. They were just desperately making it up as they went along. And because that's also the premise of the show, it was charming. And I kind of got that feeling in this movie too. And it's less charming. Even though they had $31 million. (laughs) I also got the feeling that this was a sketch comedy show from the late 1970s and was full of weird jokes like making native deities say hula waka hula waka something not right. That jumped out at me as a little Muppet show-ish. Not in a good way. There's also uh, totally, there's some weird, we'll get into this later. There's some Take a drink. weird references to things that I'm like, why are you referencing on the waterfront? 
<laughs> oh, there's lots of... I can't, but that's a Muppet Show kind of a thing. Like, the jokes are just everything at the wall. Every single scene is just full of anachronisms. It's funny, because I keep trying to picture the Shiver Me Timbers song, and I can't, because it was immemorable. And I just keep hearing that Here Comes Mr. Humbug. That's because it's yeah. the same song. It is. It's the same fucking song. It introduces it. The Here Comes Mr. Humbug, which is the Scrooge song, is structured as the first song of the movie, and it introduces your protagonist. And it says, here's what he's like. Here's the premise of the movie. Here is what you are going to follow for the next 90 minutes. This is the same fucking song with the same beats, but it's about Captain Flint. A character which is not in the movie <laughs> that you don't fucking ever see again right yeah it's bad storytelling it's a bad musical and i understand that the books you need you have to start with the backstory of captain flint you need to restructure it because you don't open with your scrooge song and try to superimpose it yeah. to be captain flint because that makes no fucking sense it's you should have talked to like- howard ashman you should have had a single conversation with him, Barry Man. <laughs> he was working with you. He knew how to structure these fucking things. Even has similar beats to it. Tempo. Yeah. Yeah, it's like se- similar tempo. Because it's like a marching song. Scrooge is like... And then this song is the same thing because they're hauling the chests. And so they're going... It's got the same kind of like make way for Prince Ali rhythm because it's like a march, you know? But I was like, I just imagined Brian Henson going like, I mean, that worked. Let's do that again. Like, it was, like, the exact same. But it's, like, nobody understood why it worked in the last movie. Sure. Granted, yeah. Bobby hated it. <laughs> oh, you, you you think I hated that film? <laughs> uh, at the end of this song, the, the Captain Flint just shoots his crew. And I was like, fuck, this is a Disney film? All right, then. All right. So, I didn't like that song. Rob <laughs> didn't like the felt crocodile. <laughs> Uh, we do get into a better scene because we get Billy Connolly recounting the, the story of Captain Flint to an inn full of Muppets. And they're not the back of the warehouse Muppets. They're actual real Muppets now. Bunch of pigs probably used from pigs in space, you know. This is at least the B tier of Muppets that we've got into here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've graduated out of the D tier that oh, we they were in before. real bad. <laughs> <laughs> they were garbage. Okay, so Bob, what happens in this scene? I've been talking a lot and I'm sorry, I've just been going through the background here. I'm going to I'm going to throw to you, Bob. Oh, no, it's okay. And so as the camera kind of like pulls back, you see that, again, Billy Conley cranked up to 15 is finishing the tale of Captain Flint and how nobody knows what happened to the map and nobody knows where the treasure is. And everyone pigs around in the bar like, yes, story would have been good. It wasn't the first time I heard it. <laughs> and then I'm pretty sure a cup opens his mouth and says, I could use a drink. And it really threw me for a fucking spin. <laughs> Uh, yeah, anything can be a Muppet in this universe. In- including the cup one of the pigs is drinking out of. <laughs> um, and then you're also introduced to the lead of the film, whose name I've forgotten, so from here on out, I should simply be referring to him as Mullet Boy. Mullet Boy! The character's name is Jim Hawkins. The actor's name is Kevin Bishop. Master Jim Hawkins. Come on, you can remember that. Jim, 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 Jimmy, Jim, Jim, Yes, Jim. Bobby! And I was like, didn't The Simpsons already do this with Joe, Joe, Joey, Joe, Joe, Joe? I'm pretty sure, and I'm pretty sure that was before this episode, this movie came out, so. When they did that joke spoiler alert i fucking loved it i paused it and rewatched it because i was like that is so fucking funny i'm not jimmy jim jim jimmy jim 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 he's jimmy jim jim jimmy jim 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 jennifer saunders comes in and there's this weird ongoing joke in this film where she can hear everything everybody says like several rooms away and they keep hanging a lantern on it and i didn't get it or think it was funny it didn't work it was again an example of throwing stuff at the wall and i think it's just one of those things where it's like it's funny if you repeat things a bunch of times so let's repeat that a bunch of times where we say how does she do that because she has good hearing but in no circumstance was it a funny comment no so 
And in and in half of them, it also wasn't particularly shocking that she would hear them. It's like in the same room. Like at one point, they're just like yelling in the other room. Yeah. Anyone can do that. That's called hearing. Uh, yeah, I just think they had to give her something because like it's Jennifer Saunders, right? It's a pretty quick nothing character really so maybe they were just trying to play her up and find something for her to do but i think a lot of english comedians liked being on the show so i think she i think she was probably more than happy to be a part of it like you even read that in this film spoiler alert for a few minutes down the road apparently billy Connolly was quite proud of the fact that he was the first person to die on screen in a muppet movie tim curry was he was always a big fan of the muppets and was very happy to have done this role so i see why she was like yeah of course we'll be in a fucking muppet movie and then they were like great uh what do we do with that here's a fat suit is apparently what they do with that yeah. Yeah. This particular rule bugged me. And it bugged me for one reason. I don't know why she's in a fat suit. She doesn't need to be in a fat suit. The character does not require that in any way. The fact that it's in this sequence where the following things happen. A. Billy Connolly says, watch out for people with one leg. B. A blind man comes in and then kills everybody. Oh my god. You have a situation where this entire opening sequence just demonizes people with disabilities or, you know, obesity. I didn't pick up that on at all. This sequence, taken on its own, is just a series of don't trust disabled people and obese people are mean. And it's really off-putting. I don't like it. I think we all made the same note about the fat suit. We were just like, why is she in a fat suit? Her just showing up and being Jennifer Saunders and having exactly the same demeanor would have been great. Been fine. Maybe even slightly funnier. Because you would have been watching being like, why don't they put her in a fat suit? Then what happens, Bob? Uh, Rizzo uh, and Gonzo and Mullet Boy sing song number two. Oh, fuck. I hate this song. It's the fucking yeah, worst. It's pretty bad. Fuck I, this song. Gotta be something better. Yeah, his lip syncing in the film is like also bad. <laughs> I don't know if in this one, but later Stop on, like some shot. of his like lip syncing to the songs is kind of... I mean, I like that you know the song. In fact, I'm kind of hoping that the theme song to this episode is... <laughs> is that. Mullet kid singing. Not a fan. Not a fan. He's like a crazy soprano. Yeah. I, I bet you puberty hit that kid like a fucking wall of bricks. Because it hadn't happened yet. Fuck, <laughs> is that kid a soprano? I, I'm not sure I've heard yeah. women with higher voices than Kevin Bishop in this film. Whatever you say about his singing voice and his lip syncing, I didn't mind him in the film. I thought he was fine. I mean, it's not he, he's no Tim Curry or Billy Connolly, but no. he was okay enough for like a main protagonist character. I'm on the same page as you, Sean, on that. I thought he was fine as mullet boy. <laughs> he's he's fine in the movie. It might not even be this song. I it's might... a terrible song. This song made me hate Gonzo, and I love Gonzo. Yeah, I yeah. It's it's a bad song. Um, so much so to the point that I'd be like happy to skip it, like right onto the next scene of the film. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, the next scene is Billy Bones just screaming rum i've got the horrors bring me rum it's the best which i was going to say is the son of an alcoholic was a common catchphrase heard at dad's house on the weekends for me so this this film cut deep to the quick for bob (laughs) (laughs) billy bones as you said a couple times bobby he's turned up to 11 in this i believe bob's exact quote was he's turned up to 15 rob do not diminish billy connolly all right (laughs) i will not diminish billy connolly or billy bones he earned those extra four okay he did and it's okay for him to be cranked that high and this is when the blind muppet comes in (laughs) blind pew blind pew blind pew i loved blind pew yeah i loved him so fucking much his entrance was hilarious and the fact that he's got like two eye patches is kind of fun it's the best (laughs) he's got two eye patches (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the blind pew thing is interesting because in all of the other adaptations I've seen, 
he's not portrayed as French. No? I'm pretty sure it's just because the performer heard Pew and thought Pepe Le Pew <laughs> and then performed it all like, I'm blind Pew. <laughs> it's still getting me even when you're doing it. I don't know. I thought it was funny. I like this is funny. And the funny thing was, is there's so many Dutch angles in this film that they built the set. The door is a Dutch angle. Like the door is askew too. It was so good. I liked the sets throughout this whole movie, especially at the beginning. Everything's, it's all on a soundstage, but it's built to use a lot of like forced perspective. It's not even trying to hide the fact that it's forced perspective. The whole movie is built and shot as if it's like a Disneyland ride. Like it's it's like everyone mm-hmm. is just like, yeah, this is clear. It's a Muppet <laughs> movie. They're Muppets. You can see the strings. Like who the fuck cares? Look at it. This is awesome. <laughs> and that's what I was like. This whole, uh, minus the song at the beginning, I liked uh, all of the tavern stuff. I liked Billy Bones. I liked Blind Pew. And then... Uh, Blind Pew gives Billy Bones the black spot. He explains what the black spot is to everybody. And then he goes to bed and he dies. Um, And for some reason has a copy of Henry Kissinger's piece. It's Diplomacy by Henry Kissinger. Oh, Diplomacy, that's what it is, yeah, yeah. Henry Kissinger has never, ever written a single word about peace in his life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's fair. That's very fair. We get the Jimmy Jim Jim joke, which is great. Uh, And then... uh, Blind Pew shows back up with his pirate buddies. But we get the fact uh, that um, Billy Bones is one of Flint's crew members, and he has the treasure map to the pirate treasure. Yeah. The titular treasure island. And they give it to Mullet Boy and Gonzo and Rizzo. And then they go, awesome, we're going to be rich. And then he immediately dies, and then the pirates immediately show up the inn, and there's an action sequence that burns down the inn, yada, yada, yada. Let's move on. Yeah. The inn burns down, and they go to the port to commission a ship to take them to Treasure Island. And so they knock on the door of Trelawney's shipmaker. And the guy says, Trelawney's not here. Instead, his half-wit son, Squire Trelawney, is here. And they're like, good, we'll talk to him. And it's Fozzie Bear playing Squire Trelawney. But it's not just Fozzie Bear. It's Fozzie Bear and Mr. Bimble, who lives in his finger. Yeah, what the fuck was that? Apparently, when Frank Oz came in to, like, read the script and do his lines after everything was done, because, again, he was making a different movie. Yeah, yeah. He was, like, reading these lines and apparently stopped. And he turned to Brian Henson and he goes, so what's going on? There's a guy living in his finger? Yeah. And Brian Henson's like, yeah. And he goes, is that a joke? And Brian Henson goes, yeah. And he goes, I don't think I get it. And I'm with Frank Oz on this one. (laughs) Right. I do not get it at all. (laughs) At all. At all. It's not funny, and it it never, ever stops happening. (laughs) Nope. And it only mildly pays off at the end. Like, if they would have had a bigger reveal, it it mildly pays off. Wait, what's the reveal? What are you talking about, a reveal? Fozzie gets in a sword fight, and he closes his eye, and then Mr. Bimble sword fights for him. But that's not a reveal. He's just flailing wildly. Robbie, Mr. Bimble's not real. (laughs) (laughs) Fossey Bear's not real, okay, Bobby? Um, I get it. (laughs) Okay, that's a good retort, Rob. I'm marking it down. Rob got another good one in. Uh, I'm just saying that's what the payoff was, is that was the whole thing. They were like, oh, it's actually real. He does have someone who's, like, controlling his hand and talking to him. But it's not good. It's not Uh, enough. 
Uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be a Shining reference, as you say, just like throwing shit at the wall. I don't get it. They kept throwing that at the wall, and every time it fell down, they picked it back up and threw it again. They're like, no, 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 it's going to stick. It's going to stick. I'm with Frank Oz. I don't really understand it as a joke. And like Frank Oz, I can't do anything about it because the movie's already made. So. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why he doesn't work with it anymore. He was just like... Ah, okay Uh, if I was on set I would have changed it (sighs) but anyway then they get on the boat and the boat has Stadler and Waldorf as the mascots on the front of the ship I forget what they're called and man do they mirror my feelings about this movie speaking truth to power where they're like could be worse we could be in the audience and i was like that's a lot funnier when the movie when i don't agree with them (laughs) when they weren't offering legitimate criticism of the film (laughs) but then don't worry things look up for a brief moment because tim curry's introduced and he sings his introduction and you're like oh thank fucking god tim curry's in this movie as soon as he comes into the movie it gets better and anytime he's not on screen every character should be asking where's tim curry no, specifically not where's long john silver specifically where's tim curry um and then there's this stupid rizzo is also turning it into a cruise ship which was another joke that just never ends and isn't funny oh i love that are you kidding me i thought that was great i loved yeah. Rizzo's side hustle I thought it was so fucking funny because it started off rats on on boats and he was just bringing all his buddies along. And then they kept it going throughout the whole film and they found shit for them to do. I thought it was great. I liked how little it made sense and how little they cared about how little it made sense because all of the rats are living (laughs) in the present day. And so it's just full of anachronisms where they all have like modern cameras. At one point, they have a jet ski. And I liked how the rats brought in the Electric Mayhem as like the cruise's in-house band. And it just creates this level of surreality that just gets, it keeps growing in insanity. And they're just like, just go with it. Just stop asking questions. (laughs) I loved it. I honestly did. Yeah. Bobby, what'd you you think? He he didn't like it. He said he didn't like it. It didn't work for me. That's the thing. The joke, this joke just didn't work for me. And it's in here a lot. So if it didn't work for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And this is kind of my thing with this movie movie is like there is no way you cannot compare this to a muppet christmas carol sure and in hindsight was liking a muppet christmas carol considerably more (laughs) i like the structure of that more where they're retelling a classic tale and you have rizzo and gonzo that are that has the serility as you were saying of they're in the movie but they're also not in the movie and they're kind of people treat them as if they're there and not there and like that's kind of fun whereas in this movie like not having them as the narrators and just having them be characters in the movie missed some charm. So the one note I have is that when we talked about Muppet Christmas Carol, I made the comment about how maybe one of the reasons that you didn't like Muppet Christmas Carol, Bob, is because there's no jokes in it. And the joke of Muppet Christmas Carol is that there's basically no jokes. They just do it straight. You said how like, oh, well, I missed the jokes. I, you know, I liked having jokes. And watching this movie, I was like, be careful what you wish for, Bob. <laughs> because this movie is full of jokes and i was like can we go back to not having jokes please no no that's the thing as i in hindsight i was like well you know yeah let's watch the one with no jokes and then (laughs) then then you figure out that you're like oh they're all secret pirates long john silver's probably no good we get the introduction of elmo elmo's in this film oh bad polly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Kevin Clash. It's he's just doing Elmo's voice. 
but it's got an accent on it. But like, I was just just picturing Elmo throughout the entire time, and I was like, "Evil Elmo is crazy to imagine," because <laughs> I was just like, I wasn't seeing a lobster. I was seeing Elmo do all of this stuff, and I was like, "This is awesome." So I'm making my own film up in my head here. I'm realizing maybe why I liked it so much. Yeah, I was about to say that's why you enjoyed it because you again you were watching a film that didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, there were there were no songs, and Elmo was in this. Wait, so Internal Affairs was in on it the whole time? Right. Okay. I'm understanding my insanity. In addition to the character of Bad Polly, we are also introduced to the first mate, Sam Arrow, played by Sam Eagle, which I have to say is A-plus casting. I love Sam Eagle doing almost anything, yep. and the fact that he's in a fairly prominent role in this movie is another check mark for me. Yeah, I, I did like all of his jokes in the movie. They were actually pretty good. And, like, we're going to get into this a lot more, but it's like, you want to know why safety is important? Watch this movie and listen to Sam the Eagle. <laughs> Ooh, it's almost like Torch Talk. <laughs> torch Talk. Torch Talk! In addition to Sam the Eagle, we also get Kermit the Frog playing Captain Smollett. What are your thoughts on Kermit in this movie, Bob? I hate to say it, he's just kind of there. I feel like Steve Whitmire and, and Jerry Jewell and Brian Henson, they somehow brought too much Bob Cratchit with them. Smollett, it doesn't make sense for Kermit to be so passive. Not only does that not match the character of Captain Smollett, it doesn't really match the character of Kermit pre-Christmas Carol. In the old Muppet show, Kermit was the boss. Mm -hmm. Right there, you get the connection to Smollett. I know why they'd say, oh, he should be Smollett. But he was a sarcastic boss who was constantly, like, on the edge. Like, he was constantly fed up with the bullshit around him. Talking about Kermit? Yeah, he was on the verge of murdering somebody in every single episode. Yeah, it's the fucking best. Like, he kept his cool, because he's a professional. Yeah. But you knew that he had to take a time out, walk into the room, breathe deeply, and, like, imagine himself murdering everybody in that theater. And then just put it aside and get back to his job. <laughs> and you don't get any of that in Captain Smollett. Like, Captain Smollett <laughs> is just too Bob Cratchit. He's not Kermit. And it doesn't make sense for this character. Um, I will agree with you on that. Uh, you know, I was doing Kermit arms at the beginning. Uh, Smollett would never do Kermit arms. Yeah. You know, like it's not, there's no Kermit in him. And again, it's, I think this is just one of those jokes that doesn't play is like Sam the Eagle is talking about what a mean and stern and angry captain he is. Oh, really? You didn't think it played? It does play when he shows up and is like, oh, hey guys, how's it going? Like, yeah, no, it's all good. I didn't say any of that. Like, I thought it played really well. The intro joke where they set Kermit up as a dictator captain. And then the twist yeah. is that he's this genial, affable Kermit is a funny joke. But in order to pay off the joke, they just commit to Kermit being... Genial and affable. I thought that was a letdown. Although he does have a Miss Piggy tattoo on his chest. Oh, we'll get to Miss Piggy. I have... I have my own thoughts on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying the tattoo is awesome. I have a weird thing here. Okay, so I mentioned how I had seen this movie a few times as a kid. You know, not like all the time, but like three or four times. Yeah. And although it didn't stick with me, one thing did. One thing about this movie lasted throughout not only my childhood, not only my early adult years, but continuing into today. In my brain, in my weird, confused, Muppet-addled brain, <laughs> if I have to try to think about which side is port, 
and which side is starboard. My brain always thinks of the scene from Muppet Treasure Island where Kermit gets on the boat, and I can visualize that, okay, port is the left side, because in that scene, that's how the ship is oriented. And that's how (laughs) I do it. It's almost like holding up my hand and seeing which one makes an L and that's left. In my brain, I have to visualize Muppet Treasure Island in order to know which side is port and which side is starboard. It's the weirdest fucking thing. I don't remember anything else about this movie, but I remember that. (laughs) We have another shitty song. When they're up in the crow's nest and Tim Carr starts singing, holy fuck, does that man have a beautiful voice? I know. He's not being sinister. He's not singing evilly. He's just singing. And that is when I wrote down, I went, oh, there is nothing this man could not do. He's phenomenal. Tim Curry. I mean, it's kind of hard to laugh in an accent. I know it's not. It's impossible because a laugh is a laugh. But his laugh is so distinctive that it was just like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it was like, oh. All right, he's Long John Silver, he's Long John Silver, he laughs, he's Tim Curry, he's Long John Silver, he's Long John Silver. It was like he was breaking character every time he laughed as Long John Silver to me. Uh, so then they go to see... They do the roll call. What happens in this this part of the movie? I, do I care about any of this? Somebody want to tell me what happens while they're at sea? The only note I have a scene is that they put Gonzo on a torch rack and they continuously pull him. That's the best. Um, and then you were treated to some really weird body horror involving Gonzo loving his really long limbs, tickling everybody who's 15 feet away from him, and it's kind of fucked up. He goes, It's the best. I fucking died laughing at that. He was loving it so much, and he's so long, and he's loving every moment. It's so good. Robbie, is this number one for you? (laughs) No, it's not number one, but it's it's really high. I'm embarrassed to say how high it is. Long John Silver is the head of the pirates but they don't know that yet Mm -hmm. but they do know that his minions have been trying to get the map so they lock his minions in the brig Uh, but everyone still trusts Long John Silver because he's Tim Carey he's lovable and everybody loves him you just called him Tim Carey and for a second I was like Jim Carey and Tim Curry together now that would be a fucking weird movie (laughs) apologies for disrespecting Tim Curry like that Um, there's another fucking song in here that's almost even worse than all the ones that we've heard so far. Cabin Fever? My one note is Cabin Fever. Unnecessary. It is. I Someone agree. should have talked to Howard Ashman. Someone should have learned a fucking lesson about how to structure a musical. Because there are many different reasons why you would have a song in a musical. You can have a song that furthers the plot. You can have a song that elaborates on emotions. You can have a song that digs down into someone's inner thoughts as if it's a soliloquy. You can have a song that summarizes things that happened off stage that people need to know about. This does none of that. This song, for some reason, introduces a new plot element that didn't exist prior to the song. The plot element is the wind has stopped and they're stranded. Yeah. They sing about that, and then at the end of the song, the plot element ends and goes away. Yep. Without them having done anything to resolve it. Correct. It does not advance any character arc. It does not advance the plot. They stop the movie dead for no fucking reason to sing a really weird and dumb song that is almost like you started watching a different movie. Yeah, it's and it starts off with those really bad old vintage effects of them like, ooh, look, they're going to stretch their faces out. They're going crazy. And now they're going to sing a kind of bad and 
maybe sometimes kind of racist song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I like how equal access they are to their racism in that song though. Like they just yeah. they just go and grab all cultures of the world to like throw them into this. It's not like they're attacking anyone specifically. It it, it was in the trailers. I remember it from the trailers as a kid. <sighs> do you think it's just got to be like we need a big musical number and they're like let's do this. It'll be funny. We need something else, another song at sea and yeah. someone like pitched it in the writer's room what if there's a song about how they all have cabin fever like it's bad yeah. writing it's really bad writing yeah because it doesn't have any narrative element you could literally excise the whole thing from the movie and not only does the movie still work structurally you would never know it wasn't there because it's exactly. never referenced never. it has never. no incorporation into the plot you you said they had the bad special effects bobby or the old-timey special effects of like zooming into their eyes and like it, the image is all distorted I kind of like that, again, for the same reasons of, like, we're saying it's kind of not intentionally bad, but you can kind of feel like it's kind of thrown together. I I liked that effect. And then when the other pirate jumps up and goes, I've got cabin fever! I was like, okay, this is funny. This is funny. And then they went into the song and I was like, this isn't funny. Like, it it was just this moment where I was like, okay, this is, this could be good. And then it immediately wasn't good. But then the movie happened again and you're like, oh, right, I forgot it's not good. Oh, yeah, I was thinking of that movie I'm making up in my mind again. (laughs) The one that I'm watching. Not gonna lie, I really enjoyed that movie I watched in my mind. And then Tim Curry is like, don't worry, don't, nobody mutiny until I say so. I've got a plan. And he knows that Sam the Eagle takes safety very seriously aboard this ship. Yeah, because it's Sam the Eagle. It's playing Sam Arrow. Everything he did is great. And he's funny. And he says he thinks the lifeboat is leaky. And so he has to get in it. And he says, well, you actually have to get on the water and row. And Sam Lee goes like, you're right. That's the only way to test. He says, is there anything you have you don't think you might need? You might want to lose? And he's like, of course, my keys. You're right. You need to hang on to my keys. I'm just going to row this boat around and prove that it's safe. And I was like, man, like, he is not wrong. I admire Sam the Eagle's commitment to safety, which is a joke <laughs> that does pay off in the end of the movie. Long John Silver gets the keys, lets his pirate crew out of jail, and then conspires with them to talk about when they're going to launch their coup and take over the ship so that they can take the treasure from Treasure Planet Island, whatever the fuck movie we're watching. <laughs> Jimmy Jim Jim Mullet Boy overhears all of this and he's like, no, not Long John Silver. So he tells Kermit, he's like, Kermit, Long John Silver's evil. And Kermit says, I have a plan. Let's send them all to get their treasure. To be fair, it's not a bad plan. It's a good he's plan. Like, he, he sends all of them to Treasure Island to get the treasure. And they're like, oh, awesome. That's what we wanted to do anyway. And Kermit's plan is like, well, as soon as they leave, we're just going to skedaddle. Sail away. Um, and we're just going to abandon them here. We'll come back in a year, he says. That's the part I don't get. They're in the Caribbean. There's other islands where you can, like, commandeer another crew to come yeah. back to Treasure Island with you. You're not going to sail back to London at this point. Like, what are you talking about, Kermit? No, he's just going to go party it up in Port Royal for a year and then come back to the island. <laughs> Kermit's a freak, don't you know? They're, like, eight <laughs> days from Port Royal, maybe. Like, you don't, it's not going to take a year. Like, I don't like, know. Like, it's an extended holiday. It is on Squire Trulani's dime. He doesn't want to go back home. He's getting paid. All right. He's going to go party for a year on Squire Trelawney's dime because, you know, Mr. Bimbo is running the checks. Yeah. Um, Why wasn't that joke in the movie? That would have fucking paid off. <laughs> That's a good joke, isn't That's it? a great joke. Uh, just off the top of the dome. You, you deserve it. That is well earned, sir. Anyway, Long John Silver has figured this out, though, and he kidnaps Mullet Boy and takes him to <laughs> Treasure Island. And so that means that, oh, well, they can't just go party at Part Royal. They have to get in their own boat and go to the island to try to rescue little mullet boy. We went pretty fast through the whole ship stuff, but I don't think we missed anything, right? No, that's it's memorable. Thus leads us to 
Maybe my favorite sequence in the whole movie. It's more Tim Curry. The pirates have stolen Mullet Boy and taken him to the island. And at the introduction, we get Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem playing a island concert for the pirates. And then they hang a lantern on it because one of the band members goes... I don't get it. Are, are, whose side are we on? Are we with the pirates or are we with the rats? And the other guy goes, don't question a gig, man. <laughs> I was like, that's that's funny. It and, great. and especially because he says, they don't get involved in politics. And Animal just goes, politics, politics. <laughs> then Tim Curry sings a song called When You're a Professional Pirate something or other. And that's the best song in the movie, in my opinion. It is. 90% and, of it is because it's Tim Curry. And I, Well, and I liked when he turns to the rest of the pirates and says, come on, boys, like you've been practicing. And I was like, <laughs> he had this mutiny planned from the start. Yeah. He, he has been making them practice. He's been working up to this. <laughs> yeah, show him you've been practicing. It's so good. Where he's like, come on, boys, this is my only number. Minus Hans Zimmer score. It's like the best music in the whole movie. It's a three-star song at best, but Tim Curry fucking sells it. He br- yeah. He brings it up to four. And then who's uh, who's the big guy, the big Muppet? What's his name? Sweetums. Sweetums is the very end, just one-handed lifts up Tim Curry while they're singing, like, the last note of the song. It's the best. I loved it. So then the pirates follow the treasure map to the treasure, and they find that the treasure isn't there. Yep. Oh, my God, all of the treasure is empty. Oh, no. And then all the other pirates are angry. And then Long John Silver pulls out his guns and he says, run, mullet boy. A mullet boy is like, <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, you're you're going to protect me? And he says, I did like you. Don't think I wasn't lying about that. And he's like, run, I'll, I'll fend them off. Obviously, Treasure Island's been told many times. There's many different versions of it. And the fact is, Long John Silver's an interesting character. I, I do like the yeah, interesting layers to this character about how he has this, like, anti-hero element to him. He really does like Jim. He takes him under his wing. He protects him. He, like, risks his life to save Jim. And I think all the different adaptations kind of incorporate those layers to the character. Mm-hmm. He's a fascinating character. And Tim Curry fucking crushes the role. So that's kind of what my wife had said too is because the whole point of the song is that at least as pirates we get to share the booty my wife was watching with me and she kind of said like are pirates worse villains than the british navy at this time (laughs) well very few people are worse villains than the british navy bobby uh you should know but um one thing i will say and it's actually i think lyrics in the song he points out how this is their treasure to begin with like they buried it yeah like why the fuck does Jim get it? It's more Tim Curry's than Mullet Boys. They make a good point. To be fair, I think they stole that treasure to begin with, though, Sean. But Jim Hawkins isn't exactly going to give it to charity. No, he's going to give it to the British Navy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. Well, I mean, he's going to give it to Squire Trelawney. Like, the the idiot is going to get it all. Who's going to give his share to the king? That's not better, though. No, no, no. no I'm not saying it is. Like, the treasure's been stolen. What's done is done. It's a sunk cost. These are ethical sunk costs. At this point, I kind of feel like Blonde John Silver deserves it the most. Everyone's going to get their equal share, which is, would not be the case yeah. when Kermit takes it yeah. and just Fozzie Bear keeps it all. It's like, well, I funded the expedition, so this is all mine. Yeah. Says the man in my finger. This was something because I've only only uh, the only other other yeah the only other adaption of Muppet or Muppet the only other adaption of Treasure Island that I've seen is like Treasure Planet adaptation. Yep, the only other adaptation of Treasure Planet Treasure Island that I've seen is Treasure Planet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a strong beer I drank. Try it again. <laughs> Take five. The only other adaptation of Treasure Island that I have seen is Treasure Planet. 
And they had the same idea with a little bit uh, Long John Silver's character. I felt like this was definitely much better done. You said it was a very interesting character, Long John Silver. I agree with you. It's such a cool character. It's very multi-layered. I like yeah. it. It's a great character. I mean, it's it's the reason yeah. why this is such an iconic story. It's because Long John Silver is a fucking amazing character. Uh, like 100%. the rest of the story is kind of you take it or leave it. And and watching this version, especially with Tim Carey and uh, Tim Carey, <laughs> Tim Curry and the role i said it now um uh tim curry in the role he knocks it out of the park he really does and you feel that relationship like you can feel his whole backstory like you can see you can feel everything about his motivations you can feel his resentment for his place in the world he doesn't have the power he thinks he deserves because he is a charismatic charming smart person you know he has anger about that you know he's being forced to collude with pirates but like these are the people that he sees as his brothers because he's mm-hmm. been rejected by society at large, probably because he has a disability. Like, there's all of these elements that are baked into the character because it's a good character that Robert Louis Stevenson created. But Tim Curry kind of like brings all of that forward just through performance, like just through the way that he like says lines, he looks at Jim, he smiles at certain things, doesn't smile at others. It's a great performance. Like he's such a good actor. Fuck, I love Tim Curry. The pirates tie him up. There's this whole thing with like, you gave me the black spot on a page of the Bible. How dare you? Satan himself was laughing upon you. I did kind of like all this weird blasphemy speech coming out of a fucking Muppet movie that was produced by Disney. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Oh, that was kind of fun. It's well, that's from the book. Like that's yeah. that is how he wins them back over in the book is he outsmarts them again because Long John Silver is an interesting character because he he saves Jim and so then he becomes captured by the pirates and so it's almost like which side is he on? Is he actually now um, yeah. a good guy? But then he outsmarts the pirates and convinces them back onto his side just by using his words. And then they're captured by the natives of the island who, as Sean spoke earlier, are Polynesian pigs. Yep. Okay, so Captain Smollett comes to the island with Gonzo and Rizzo to rescue Jim Hawkins. But they're captured by the natives of the island, who are Polynesian pigs. The the lead chief native is called Sp-Am. Did you read that Hornell Foods actually sued the Muppets over the use of the name Spam and the character Spam, Spam in the film? It actually went to trial in the 1990s before the film was released because they were concerned it would hurt the brand, to which the judge threw it out and said he thought they would have welcomed an association with actual pork to their name. (laughs) Which, I would point out, means that the judge had a better joke than the movie. Yeah. So... (laughs) Good on that judge. One of the CEOs down the line was asked about that, and he said he actually felt it was a low point in Hornell Foods to actually have bothered suing the Muppets. <laughs> like, it's like a behind the music, like a VH1. I think if anybody sues the Muppets, it's a dark year for you. You're in a nadir, definitely. <laughs> okay, I gotta talk about these stupid pigs. Uh, I don't like that they're Polynesian pigs. Yep. I don't like how then they tie up Captain Smollett and... um Godzo and Rizzo, and then they're like, let's take them to Boom Shakalaka. Yep. And then they all start chanting, Boom Shakalaka Laka, Boom Shakalaka Laka. Again, it's the Muppets. They're throwing shit at the wall. It's almost like Robin Williams being racist and Mrs. Doubtfire. Like, it's racist, <laughs> but it's because they're all on too much cocaine and they're just saying the first things that come into their head. Like, Boom Shakalaka is from. African-American soul music. Uh, Sly and the Family Stone song, I, I Want to Take You Higher, which was covered by Tina Turner. It was it was made famous by Tina Turner. That was referenced by Bill Murray in Stripes. That's where Boom Shakalaka comes from. It's a reference to African-American soul music. Having them chant this on this native Polynesian island is 
just so weirdly racist. Yep. Yeah, it's fucked up. Uh, I don't get and it's not funny. There's nothing funny about it. It's honestly the first thing that came into somebody's head and then they did it. And it's like, why are you saying this? You don't know why you're saying this. It's probably the first thing they thought of. It was just like, what something that they could chant? I don't know. That song. That's racist. That's racist. The first yeah. thing you thought of when you think of tribal people is Tina Turner. That's fucking yeah. racist. Yeah. That's super I'm just racist. That's probably what it was. I mean, when I think of Boom Shakalaka, I think of NBA Jam, <laughs> which was a reference to Stripes. But anyway, don't worry. The movie gets saved. The only scene in this movie that got the slightest bit of a chuckle out of me was the fact that the Swedish chef is just wearing a pig nose, but they haven't made him a pig. He's wearing one of the tie around pig noses on his face. Because he's part of the pig tribe, but he has the least effort pig costume that you could possibly imagine. It is funny. And they hang a lantern on it and they say, how else are we going to get him in this film? It's a very Muppet joke. Mm -hmm. That's a very classic Muppet joke. Yeah. And I liked it a lot. So Boom Shakalaka, as they say, bring him to Boom Shakalaka is... Miss Piggy, who is playing Benjamina Gunn, and I have so much to say about this. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna rant for so long. I'm sorry, guys, that I talk too much. But first of all, yeah, Sean, if, if you didn't talk so much, we would not have a show. Stop doing the white person comes to the island and immediately becomes God. Like, stop it. It's not okay to keep doing that trope. Okay. Benjamina Gunn is an adaptation of the character of Ben Gunn, which is in the novel, which was a member of the crew. He was marooned on the island and he's gone insane on the island. Um, and then the joke of the book is, is that this insane member of the crew was the one who had the treasure the whole time. And in fact, in the book, it's like a punchline because they spend the whole book wondering where the treasure is. And Ben Gunn is just like in there being like, ah, crows, <laughs> when they made this movie. They pick the one story that has no female roles. And so then they have to change a male character in a female into a female character to have something for Miss Piggy to do. I'm just imagining this movie now where the roles of Miss Piggy and Kermit are reversed. And that movie would be fucking sweet with Miss Piggy as the captain. It's way better. It's that, way that better. That plays so good. When she comes out of the carriage, then everyone's actually fucking scared because it is Miss Piggy. And she would be intimidating. No wonder you like this movie yeah. so much, Rob. <laughs> Rob, I think you just created a better version of this movie. And then they make Benjamina. It doesn't make any sense because she's not Ben Gunn. It's not like they no. just gender swapped the character. A totally different character. I didn't understand what they're doing with her because she, her and Kermit broke up because he left her at the altar because he was scared. And it was like, so you ran away to an island in the middle of the ocean? No, then she hooks up with Captain Flint. Okay. And then... And then it's implied because here's the yeah. thing. I love they, this They part. gloss over it, but it's implied that she cheated on Captain Flint with Long John Silver. Miss Piggy and Long John Silver hooked up. Which is why Captain Flint marooned her. That's the best. I mean, that's funny. She she does give Tim Curry this known look and like accentuates like, hello there, Long John. <laughs> right around this time, though, because Long John Silver has convinced his crew to come back to him, his pirate crew, he shows up and he goes, ha 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 ha. And then he ties up Miss Piggy and Kermit over a cliff. And he says, tell me where the treasure is or I will kill Captain Smollett, Kermit. And then Piggy says, oh, it's at my house and here's the directions. And then he's like, great. Now I'm just going to leave you here to die as if I was Radigan from uh, The Great Mouse Detective. And then he leaves to go get the treasure. 
and they sing terrible, terrible songs. Yeah, it's bad. Like they thought it was going to be like a whole new world's <laughs> single because it's like it plays over the end credits. <laughs> it's so terrible. Love led us here. Here's the thing. I hate the song. I hate Kermit and Miss Piggy yep. singing it. I know what you're going to say. I fucking love the montage where it cuts back to Tim Curry, like <laughs> just dancing in golden doubloons over the song the in slow motion as he like showers himself in it. And it's like this <laughs> sexy song about love led us here. And he's just like making out with gold. Oh God, that was the best. That was funny. So... I'm very, I have very mixed feelings about this song. <laughs> like that part of it made me laugh. Bobby, what'd you think? I forgot the song title. I forgot everything about it. It's <laughs> <laughs> Love Lettuce here. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, Jim, he needs to get back to the boat. The coup has happened and all that kind of shit. And uh, Sam Arrow shows up because he's been rowing this whole time. And he finally is like, yep, looks like it finally is safe. So it's, he's been rowing for like a day and a half. And he's like, now I'm done. And uh, he says, why don't you get in this safe rowboat? And then, yeah, they catch Miss Piggy and Kermit from the top of the cliff. And then it doesn't matter. And then there's a sword fight on the beach. And is this the first time we actually see Kermit the Frog hopping, though? Yeah, but we didn't need to see it because it looked fucking terrible. (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) I think it's the first time we've actually seen him jump. I was much happier to see him ride a bike radio controlled in the 1970s than I was like leap into the air. Yep. The good guys win, the bad guys lose. They lock them all up. The climax is that although they've locked up Long John Silver, Long John Silver still has the keys in his pocket. So he escapes. He takes the gold with him. He gets in the unsafe rowboat. He has a last little moment with Jim where he offers to take Jim with him. And Jim says, no, I don't want to get go away. Gives him back his compass. Yeah. Very touching. It's yeah. I'm saying this relationship, like Long John Silver yeah. as a character is amazing. And then that's the end of the movie. Oh, no, it's not, because we get, for some insane fucking reason, a song by Ziggy Marley yeah. <laughs> that plays over the end credits. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you think he was so enamored with the Bob Marley joke from Christmas Carol that he, like, called them up? <laughs> He's like, that was funny, guys. I got it. He was called Robert Marley. I want to be in on the next film. For some reason, Ziggy Marley does the end song yep. and it has nothing to do with the Muppets. It's called Love Power. It's what I, it's no theme song to Arthur, but whatever. A few things are. <laughs> he did the theme song to Arthur? Ziggy Marley did the theme song to Arthur. Okay. And I say, hey, what a wonderful, wonderful kind of day. Okay, yeah, that, that song's really good. <laughs> what are we talking about? Play and get along with each other. <laughs> yeah, that's a great song. I was like, why the fuck was Sean watching Arthur? (laughs) Then I remember you had a younger brother in the 90s, so I was like, of course he had to watch Arthur. What are we going to rank it? Talking it over with you guys, uh, I realized I might have been enjoying a film that didn't exist. (laughs) Where Miss Piggy and Kermit's roles were reversed. It's it's much funnier. (laughs) When it was Muppets just doing some pirate shit, I liked it. Um, I thought Gonzo and Rizzo definitely were... Not as good as they were in a uh, Muppet Christmas Carol. That's because they have the opposite rules. In Muppet Christmas Carol, they're the only characters with jokes. And in this movie, nothing they say is funny. Like, they were trying to recreate the magic of a Muppet Christmas Carol. Like, well, just take another story and we'll just put our characters in there and do the exact same thing. And honestly, it doesn't work as well as Muppet Christmas Carol, obviously, because... That's my favorite movie we reviewed. Surprisingly, the only Muppet film I think I've seen is actually a Muppet Christmas Carol before we started this podcast. And so I was in a bit of a predicament uh, when it came to ranking this film because I put Great Muppet Caper pretty high. 
And I actually had more fun in this film than The Great Muppet Caper, legitimately. I thought there were funnier jokes that I liked in it. I didn't like the music. Uh, I liked Hans Zimmer's score, but I didn't like the music. And so when I saw The Great Muppet Caper, I was like, well, I like this one more, so I have to put it higher. But The Great Muppet Caper was in my top ten. Come next podcast, I may rearrange my list a little bit, but I had to put Muppet Treasure Island higher. You than can you can reevaluate. You can yeah. drop Great yeah. Muppet Caper. I'm going to drop Great Muppet Caper. You're allowed to do that. But right now, as it stands, uh, Great Muppet Caper is nine. Darby O'Gill is eight. Muppet Treasure Island is seven. But I think I have to adjust this a little bit. Wow. I know. Wow. It's pretty high uh, because I had so much fun last night. I loved Tim Curry. Uh, the stuff that worked for me in this really worked for me. Uh, you've, you've highlighted a bit of the yeah. negatives, but I think I was yeah. just glossing over those. I don't disagree. There are things that work in this. Yeah. Uh, there's one thing that works, and it's fucking Tim Curry. Yeah. <laughs> Going over this list, uh, I'm almost tempted to move Muppet Christmas Carol up in my list because I was like, wow, this movie was so much fucking better than this one. <laughs> This whole film just fell flat for me. Um, I'm going to put this at number 25, which will be below Escape to Butch Mountain and just one above Blackbeard's Ghost, the other shitty pirate movie we've watched. <laughs> that movie sucks. This movie also kind of sucks. Um, but it has Tim Curry in it, so it goes one above. Yeah. Really, I'm sorry, Andrew, that I'm ruining your family's favorite movie that you've watched 30 times over and for some reason pair with a Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's well, because Tim, Tim Curry's in it. I, I, I know because Tim Curry's in it, but I would be like, if, if, like, if like my parents were like, let's watch two Tim Curry movies. It's like, it's like family night. Yeah. <laughs> let's gather the kids around the TV and watch Muppet Treasure Island and then Rocky Horror Picture yeah. Show. Yeah. It's like, I, to be fair, that would be a pretty sweet night. Like, even if, even when I was 10, I would have been like, awesome. You, you, you have a rockin' family, Andrew. I will not take that away from you. <laughs> John, what do you think? So I have seen four different adaptations of Treasure Island. Which ones are they? I saw the 1950 version of Treasure Island, which is the Walt Disney production. Stars Robert Newton as Long John Silver, who is the archetype of the pirate voice. In fact, the R that we all do is the standard pirate voice comes from 1950s Treasure Island. And it was Robert Newton doing an exaggerated Bristol accent coming from oh, where wow. he grew up. That is cool facts, man. That's better than this movie. I've seen a second version of Treasure Island, which was a Soviet cartoon made in 1988, uh, where all of the songs are sung by a live action band where it cuts back to them and they sing about what lessons children from should take from the story, including don't drink alcohol, don't smoke cigarettes, always exercise, and capitalism is a blight upon the world. All valuable lessons. This isn't a joke. Those are actually the four songs from the Soviet cartoon. So as someone who is straight edge and very against capitalism, I don't hear any problems. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, I also think that version is better than this Muppet Treasure <laughs> I have also seen Treasure Planet, which is the Disney animated sci-fi version of Treasure Island. Musker and Clemens, right? I think this is better than Treasure Planet. So this is the third best Treasure Island movie. I have seen. For the ranking, though, which is actually what we're talking about, we're not doing a podcast where I rank Treasure Island adaptations. I mean, we could start another one if you wanted. We could. <laughs> <laughs> what a terrible name for the show. <laughs> I honestly, I jumped around on my ranking of this. Yeah. I like when I first came in, I was like, oh, I didn't like it. 
I haven't seen it in 20 years and it's not very good. Maybe it's going to be quite low. And then I was like, oh, but Andrew would never forgive me. And again, he's more important to me than our Australian friend now. So <laughs> well, don't worry. I put it in my top 10. So uh, I, got, I got you covered. The more I've thought about it, the more I feel like this sits in a hocus pocus place in that, you know, I have some fond memories of seeing it as a kid. Not sure it really holds up as a particularly yeah. good movie, but it has its moments. Some of the actors are great, particularly Tim Curry. I am going to put this just... I'm putting this one below Hocus Pocus. It is number 19. All right. Um, 1996, the year this came out. There's some weird fucking shit that came out, boys. I'm going to try and go through this. I want to talk about this year, though, because we haven't talked about it before, and it's weird. First film from 1996, Hollywood Pictures release. Film called White Squall. Oh, yeah. Which stars Jeff, Jeff Bridges, Bridges and is a Ridley Scott film. Yeah, it's the Salem and movie. I've never heard of it. Oh, really? No. Yeah, I've never heard of this. Isn't it like a bunch of young up-and-coming like actors and they go on a, they're like a sailing school or some bullshit? Something like that. Yeah, they get into a storm. Mr. Wrong, the Ellen DeGeneres Bill Pullman romantic comedy. Yep. Before and after the Meryl Streep Liam Neeson romantic comedy. No, it's not a romantic comedy. It's a crime drama. Up close and personal, the Robert Redford Michelle Pfeiffer romantic comedy. Lots of lots of these romantic things. Are, are they reporters? I think so. I think that's yeah. I think I've seen that movie. Why the fuck have I seen that? You've film? seen that movie. I haven't heard of these movies. Have you seen them? I've never heard of any of these. I think I've seen that film. Homeward Bound Two. Lost yeah. in San Francisco. It's like not lost in New York, but close. <laughs> a movie called Too Much, spelled T-W-O, much an Antonio Banderas screwball comedy. Little Indian Big City, the Touchstone movie that Disney bought because it's French. And then they not only released, they remade as the Tim Allen vehicle, Jungle to Jungle. That's right. So there are two versions of this incredibly racist movie. This one we can at least blame on the French. <laughs> James and the Giant Peach, the uh, lesser Henry Selleck film. I watched that film uh, during COVID. Very strange. <laughs> I've never seen it. It has music by Randy Newman. Yeah. <laughs> it's and such a, a weird... Fucking stellar cast. Like, it's a very stacked cast. Celtic Pride, the comedy starring Dan... A You've never seen James and the Giant Peach, Rob? I've never seen James and the Giant Peach. We should do that one. But I know that Celtic Pride stars Dan Aykroyd and one of the Waynes brothers. Damon Wayne Sr. And they kidnap a basketball player. Last Dance, the Sharon Stone romantic comedy. It's not a romantic comedy. <laughs> I'm liking this joke. Boys starring Winona Ryder. I'm going to assume that's a romantic comedy. Uh, Spy Hard, the Leslie Nielsen Weird Al vehicle. It has an opening song by Weird Al, which I remember because that's all I remember about the movie. My parents rented it. It came out in 1996. I would have been 10. We all sat around the TV. The opening song starts, Weird Al's face comes up, and I jumped out of my chair and I said, this is the best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and I don't remember anything else from that film. I literally don't remember what happens in that movie. Uh, I remember the poster, but that's about it. Just pants down on the gun. Yep. A movie called Eddie starring Whoopi Goldberg. The Rock. <laughs> you all know that one. Never seen it. That's on Disney Plus, boys. I love that film. And All right. Uh, it is on my list of films to rewatch, I'm not gonna lie. Don't tempt us with your threats. John Travolta's Phenomena. Oh, the movie where he's a psychic. I think I've seen that. I think my parents also brought that home. This was a year when we rented stuff from Family Video. The other movie was in was uh, John Travolta was in was Michael around the same time. Where he's One an of angel. them, he's 
he's an angel, and one of them, he's a psychic, and I always get those two mixed up. Because <laughs> it's very similar films. <laughs> to be honest, I only now realize those are two different films. <laughs> But it's funny because I, I can't picture the film Michael. I just picture him from Pulp Fiction in the movie Michael as this really, like, brooding evil, like, Where the, the Archangel. Yeah. <laughs> Furious anger. Um, Kazam. Yeah. The, we talked um, about that. Sinbad movie. No, it's, it's not a Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, okay. <laughs> First Kid. The Shaquille O'Neal movie. <laughs> Seriously, though, it's Kazam and then first kid. Robin Williams' Jack, which we talked about when we talked yeah. about Mrs. Doubtfire, and we said how we wish we had watched Jack, even though Jack is also terrible. Um, a movie called The Rich Man's Wife, starring Halle Berry. Who the fuck knows what that is? Oh, I just have to sigh before saying this, because I know the pain that I'm bringing upon myself, but D3? <laughs> Uh, the Associate, another Whoopi Goldberg film. Uh, Ransom, the Mel Gibson, Ron Howard joint. The War at Home, a movie starring, written, and directed by Emilio Estevez. I have to assume this was the only way he did D3. Like, this was his one for one, right? He did D3. Yeah, I don't And they gave him The War at Home. Uh, 101 Dalmatians, the live action Glenn Close version. I am a movie called The Preacher's Wife, which is a Denzel Washington remake of the Cary Grant film The Bishop's Wife. I actually watched The Bishop's Wife recently. It's about a bishop with a wife who prays to God for some help with his, like, stupid business affairs. And then Cary Grant comes. He's like, I'm an angel. You prayed. You want my help? And he's like, oh, yeah, I guess. Sure. And Cary Grant's like, yeah, I'll just help out. Um, I'm going to help out by hanging out with your wife. And, like, 30 minutes into this movie... I was like, I'm pretty sure that angel's gonna fuck the bishop's wife. <laughs> Finally, last film of the year, Madonna's Evita. Don't cry for me, Argentina. The truth is I never left you. That was the year that was, 1996. I gotta say, I surprisingly know a lot of these films. Uh, and I was nine. This is why I'm friends with you, Rob. You know such weird shit. <laughs> I just, I just love it. This is why I love doing this. Because you just have the weirdest shit in your head. And I remember the weirdest parts of your past that you have locked out, like the time you went back in time. <laughs> You're both useful to me, because Rob remembers pop culture, Bobby remembers my actual life. I don't actually have to remember anything. I live continuously in the present. That's the episode. Um, what do we got coming up next week? It's my pick, isn't it? It's your pick, Bob. Yeah, buddy. So what's, what's coming next? Would you believe you already said it? <gasps> is it Kazam? Is it Shaquille O'Neal's first kid? Is it The War at Home? Is it James and the Giant Peach? <laughs> We're just going to guess them all again. Let's start at the beginning. Is it White Squall? Is it Mr. Wrong? Just, t just tell us. What is it? Don't cry for me, Argentina. Holy fuck! You're doing Avita? What? You're making us watch Avita? So hear me out on this one. Okay. Okay. This is amazing. <laughs> Listeners, unless you say otherwise, Rob is allowed to pick movies again after this. And I am fucking dreading it. <laughs> he maintains he's going to pick a good film. Every time he says it, he cackles to himself like he's fucking beastly from the Care Bears. <laughs> In the group chat, he maintains, don't worry, guys, I'm going to actually pick a good film, I swear. Followed immediately by the sentence, did you know Transporter 2 is on Disney Plus? <laughs> 
It could be The Rock. It could be Con Air. It could be a plethora of Nicolas Cage films. It could be D3, the next five picks in a row. I don't know. <laughs> I am trying to hurt myself as much as possible before Rob picks another movie. So you're numbing the pain? I'm dulling my senses so that when Rob comes up with whatever fucking bullshit he's got up his sleeve, I'll just be like, you can't hurt me more than I have already hurt myself. So this is like how our Australian friend used to hit himself with a stick over and over and over again in order to somehow <laughs> reduce his his sensation in his outer limbs so that he would be a better fighter, I guess? I'm not really sure. You explain this to us, Australian friends, in the form of a five-star review. Please, Australian <laughs> friend, please write it. That's an interesting approach, Bob. So we're watching Madonna's Avita. And listener, if you want to spare us the torture of more of Rob's picks, you can... Bobby picked Avita! You can email into the podcast War Tennis Shoes at gmail.com or if you use Spotify, you can go onto your Spotify app where we now have polls on every single episode that poll says should rob be allowed to pick any future <laughs> movies feel free to vote yes and your voice will carry the day maybe maybe we can save ourselves from another rob pick if you rise to the occasion uh i'm yelling so loud at Avita that my wife just texted me from the other room saying i would totally watch Avita. so i got somebody to watch it with me <laughs> i think that brings us to the end of the episode rob do you want to do, can you do a great gonzo it's called the podcast war tennis shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called the podcast war tennis shoes. And that's the show. If you have a suggestion for a movie we should cover next time, send us an email at the podcast war tennis shoes at gmail.com. We can also be reached on Facebook and Twitter at podwar. That's at P O D W O R E. And if you like the show, give us a good review on your podcast platform. It really helps us out. We hope you tune in next time. Thanks. What a terrible name for the show. It's worse than the theme song. Gandhi Tartakovsky. Gandhi Tartakovsky. That's the guy who did all of the Hotel Transylvania he films. He did. Sony just basically were like, here's a bucket full of cash. You're never doing anything besides Hotel Transylvania films. And then he's like, but what about this one? One for you, one for me. And then he'll get like three quarters of the way through development. So he's like, ah, Hotel Transylvania 2. Well, you got to get on that sweet Adam Sandler money train. He just buys cars for everybody. I'm sure Adam Sandler bought Gendy. I'm going to call him Gendy. I hope I can call you Gendy, Gendy. I'm sure he like took him to Hawaii. Just like that's what Adam Sandler does. Took him to Hawaii, let him hang out on the set of uh, Grown Ups. Why would you ever make any other movies? Got invited to Rob Schneider's birthday party. At Adam Sandler's house. Oh, obviously. Uh, Rob Schneider doesn't have a house. It's <laughs> Adam Sandler's house. <laughs> <laughs> he just, he lives in Adam Sandler's pool house. Like Will on Fresh Prince of Bel Air. <laughs> Got in one little fight and his mom got scared, all right? <laughs> You're moving with Adam Sandler in Bel Air. 